Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome into the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Make sure to check us out every day on Dash Radio. Download the Dash Radio app for free and then search for Nothing But Net. You'll find us every day, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Pacific. Also check out fivereasonsports.com. Spell it out, F-I-V-E, reasonsports.com. We do not have a paywall. We don't make you pay to read our content. So make sure you check out all of the heat stuff that's on there. But we also cover Inner Miami, the Hurricanes, the Panthers, the Marlins, and of course, the Miami Dolphins. Also, our YouTube channel, we've got original shows on there on soccer, like 90 Minutes Strong, also loaded bases on the Marlins. And then we've also got playing catch up with Tamar Brown and Kylie Wang every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 10 minute show catching you up on everything that happened in South Florida sports. Also check out the great sponsors of the five reasons sports network. One of those is the Gonzalez and Tybor law firm. You can find them at bankruptcy is good for you.com. That's bankruptcy is good for you.com. You know, a recent report showed that over 45% of people use their stimulus checks. Remember we only got one to repay debt. This is money that could have and should have gone to cover living expenses. Even before the pandemic household debt in this country, especially credit card debt was going up and was hurting families and small businesses. Nobody likes to consider bankruptcy as an option for dealing with your debt, but bankruptcy is one of the few laws that exist to actually help consumers. So before you make another debt payment that you cannot afford or do something drastic like empty out your 401k or borrow money from friends and family, why don't you talk to a professional about your options? Contact Gonzalez and Tybor. Again, it's bankruptcyisgoodforyou.com, 954 378 8184. Again, bankruptcyisgoodforyou.com. Consultations always free. Can be done by telephone or video conference. The phone number 954 378 8184. And now, today's episode. One, two, three, four, five. On the floor. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a daily show on the Miami Heat and the NBA featuring Ethan Skolnick. With Alphonse Sidney, Alex Toledo, and Greg Sylvander. Part of the Five Reasons Sports Network. Welcome back on Five on the Floor. Ethan Skolnick here with Alex Toledo. You can follow him at Tropical Blanket. Also, you can find us every day on Dash Radio. That's the Nothing But Net channel. So download the Dash Radio app for free and then search for nothing but net. We've got a guest today. We're going to dive into some NBA issues, although we're obviously going to start with the Celtics Heat Series. He's Michael Pina. He now works for GQ. He did work for Bleacher Report, uh, covered the big Isaiah Thomas breakout year in 16-17 when a couple of current Heat players were on the Boston Celtics. He still identifies, just say it, Michael, say it for our audience. What do you identify as? I am, I am a Celtics fan. True and true. It's been nice talking to you. We'll let you go. No, no, we'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll let you stay. Um, and, and obviously you come in it from that perspective, and, but you also have an article that came out in GQ. A couple of articles I, I thought were interesting. One of them uh, was about why players are wearing group, group economics on the back of 
their jerseys, one of which is actually Andre Iguodala. So we're going to talk about that. But also you wrote about the Los Angeles Clippers. And I think hit on something that we've talked about here a little bit on five on the floor, which is that this, the Clippers never really found themselves this year and never really formed any kind of identity. So we're going to circle back to them, but I want to start with this series. Um, let's start with the Celtics. How, how do Boston fans feel about this particular team? Because it's a very different, we keep saying on five on the floor that we kind of want to hate this team because heat fans hated the Pierce Garnett, you know, uh, Rondo mm -hmm. teams until they stole Ray Allen. Mm -hmm. And even after that still didn't like those guys when they went to Brooklyn, sure. but this, this team seems kind of almost annoyingly likable in a lot of ways. How, how have Celtics fans kind of embrace this team? Uh, yeah, I think the word likable is perfect, uh, particularly when you contrast them with everything that happened uh, last season um, with Kyrie Irving, and it was just a very dysfunctional locker room and one of the most disappointing teams in the entire NBA. Um, they just completely imploded in the second round against the Milwaukee Bucks with Kyrie wanting to defend Giannis Antetokounmpo on every other possession, which was just... Uh, we don't really need to go back there, but um, it's it, it's a very likable team. It has a lot of uh, a lot of young, um, growing talent that's just like really easy to root for. A lot of selfless personalities. Um, Kemba Walker is just one of the best people uh, in the NBA. You know, he's won Teammate of the Year multiple times in his career. Everyone loves him. So when you go from uh, from Kyrie and kind of all of all of the drama that was instilled there with his free agency and not knowing if he was going to stay after he said he was going to stay. Um, uh, you bring in Kemba and it just has been uh, tremendous from day one. And, uh, you know, so having someone like Kemba, who's a max player, uh, who's willing to kind of relinquish the spotlight for, uh, for, for Tatum, who's made this uh, tremendous rise. He was named to the all NBA third team uh, earlier today. Jalen Brown could have been an all-star this season. So uh, it's a very easy team to watch. Uh, they play really beautiful basketball on both ends and it's a really easy team to root for. So Michael, I wanted to ask, I'm, I'm a listener of uh, you and Ben Goliver on open floor. I already knew you were a Celtics fan. I respect your opinion as a national writer as well. So I was very excited for this. And I wanted to go over game one with you. I think there was a lot of, like, this is honestly, mm -hmm. uh, as much as the Celtics-Raptors was a kind of like a very coaching-heavy series, I think this series is kind of one as well. And I think Spo uh, showed a lot of what his defensive game plan is last night, where, he, you know, he sent two to the ball with Kemba. There was plenty of times where, uh, you know, Kemba beat somebody and Bam was right there, always, you know, kind of ready for that and just willing to leave Tice every single time and uh, let the backline rotations trust that they're going to handle that properly and let him get the open dunk. Mm -hmm. And uh, as well as Tatum, right? I think early on in the game, he got a lot of the switches that he wanted. They kept trying to switch their, uh, the Heat's negative defenders onto him. And as much as they can try, it's just a mismatch every time because he can always just shoot over them or blow by them, depending on how they guard him. And I think those those adjustments were made in the second half. Jimmy Butler, especially down the stretch, was not letting them get to those switches. He was making sure, you know, Dragic was uh, showing and recovering so he wouldn't have to switch on to Tatum. How do you feel about the adjustments, basically, that Stevens can make now that we he's kind of seen what Spo has thrown out there? And it seems to be a very effective game plan. Yeah, I mean, really good points by you, um, especially coming out of the Toronto Raptors series where – 
the Celtics would try to get the right matchup that they thought they wanted with Tatum, with Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Fleet, and then Tatum was just kind of uh, not able to uh, go off the bounce. He didn't really have any confidence in his dribble. Um, and so, uh, like you said early on in, in last night's game, I mean, I tweeted this, but Tatum took like three step-back threes or sidestep threes within the first, I want to say like six or seven minutes of the game. And he, it felt like he only had that many shots. That's one of his bread and butter shots. It felt like he just wasn't even confident enough to put the ball on the ground to take a shot like that against the Toronto Raptors. So you come, kind of go into the second half, and like you said, uh, Jimmy Butler was uh, just draped all over Tatum. Um, if you just look at kind of the matchup data, um, no player guarded another player more on more possessions last night than <clears throat> Jimmy Butler defending Jason Tatum. So it was a clear, uh, a clear desire on his part to kind of lock him down. Uh, and, you know, it, it was really interesting to me coming into this series was how Miami would use its zone defense because uh, Miami – uh, you know, use the two, three zone more than any team use zone uh, throughout this season, throughout last season. And then in the first two rounds, there were zero possessions logged in a yeah. zone defense. And I think that there was a lot of matchup issues there for why they didn't really feel a need to go to it. But then last night, you know, they use it for 16 possessions and the Celtics are completely flummoxed <laughs> again with it. So they play too many non-shooters, right? I think that was something that we were going to see once they got out of that starting lineup. I just think zoning that starting lineup, probably not a great idea. But once you start playing in some of those bench guys outside of Wanamaker, I think the zone was always just going to be an option there, especially with, you know, that makes Derek Jones Jr. actually usable. It gives him a function on the court other than just a broad, like, okay, he can play defense. Putting yeah, him at the top of the zone with Iguodala, I think, made him useful. They're really big at the top, and that is, I mean, one of the other big advantages, I think, or, or useful reasons for going zone like they do is uh, you really want to get the Celtics out of the pick-and-roll game with Kemba Walker because that is yep. the, 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 the tip of the spear for Boston's offense. And so when you have two big guys up top, uh, you really can't go to it like they want to. And so Kemba's pull-up game is just completely neutralized. And as we saw... And he started the- switching off ball on, on those two, which is not something that they did before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so on all those possessions, there were a couple times where they blitzed Kemba and he kind of made them pay. But there were other times where they blitzed him and then they recovered. And Kemba was just like totally gassed by the end of this game. I mean, the possession where he was not able to beat Jay Crowder off the bounce with like 30 seconds left, I want to say, maybe a little under that in regulation, mm-hmm. um, gets his shot blocked in the paint. Like those are the possessions where Kemba's just, I mean, he made a, I think he made a step back over, I forget who. Uh, yeah. Um, that was uh, barely uh, <laughs> over the top of Hero's fingertips. So like, that stuff was, I mean, he was just grinding by the end. Um, and defensively, he was, Kemba was, um, I mean, it, for me, like the play of the whole game, and I think, you know, obviously Bam Adebayo's block is the play of the game. Like, well, let's not get it twisted. But one of the most important plays for me was uh, Kemba hitting this step back. They go up, Celtics go up five with about a minute to go. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Kemba and Marcus Smart just totally botched this random switch at the top of the key, a, 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 a miscommunication that the Celtics basically never, ever make. And Tyler Hero is just left wide open with like 20 on the shot clock for a three and he drills it. And I thought that that was like, as watching as a fan at home, like I'm, I'm watching as an analyst trying to watch as a, as a neutral observer as much as possible. Watching as a fan, I'm just like that shot right there. I, I just, that's what, that one's going to haunt them. 
One of the things that struck me about last night's game, we've got Michael Pina here, is that it felt to me in a lot of ways like a game seven where both teams were kind of throwing almost seemed like everything at the other team. You mentioned Spolster going to zone so early in the game, showing it so early in the game. Mm-hmm. And I, I was a little surprised that Boston was not expecting it because there was conversation before the series that this is something that might, they might try. But, but I felt like whether it was Eric going 10 deep in his rotation, uh, that he treated this a little bit like an elimination game, which sometimes he doesn't do early in a series. But I, I wanted to get to, to one thought I had about this series and, and where I think it may be decided, which is how a lot of series are decided, which is can you get the guys that you want to be shooting the ball on the other team to be shooting the ball? And I felt like last night both teams did that. You know, Mar- the ball kept finding Marcus Smart – and the ball kept finding Jay Crowder, these former teammates, right? And, and all of a sudden, these two former teammates who have been known for being low 30s and three-point shooting on a good day are, are making 45%. I mean, in Jay's case, it's been better than that lately. Uh, you know, four, in, they're shooting in the 40s from three. I, I guess I'd start here. How sustainable is that for either of them? And at what point does Stevens and Spolster adjust that strategy and say, okay, we're not giving them that anymore? Yeah, that's a really good good point. I think, you know, I'll start with Crowder. Like, he's just been – I'll go back to, uh, you know, when he was on the Celtics. And whenever I watched Crowder shoot a three, be it wide open, be it, um, you know, a one dribble pull up after a closeout, hard closeout, um, I always expected it to go in even when the percentages – said that it wouldn't (laughs) because I just love his form. I love the confidence with which he releases the ball. Um, And it would not ever, it would not, you know, he did not shoot like above 40% or or 44% or whatever he's been shooting in the playoffs at any point, I believe with the Celtics, it was not like that. He was very, very streaky Um, in Miami, basically, you know, even before uh, the season shut down, just, he's been on a tear and he's someone who I just don't feel comfortable leaving alone. But when you look at kind of the other options that are out there, I mean, when I watch basketball as, you know, I put on my fan hat, um, I kind of judge it by who is like the scariest player on the other team. Who do I like exhale when they let go of the ball and pass Mm -hmm. it to a teammate. And for me, like I'm already there with Tyler hero when he has the ball. I'm just like, please, stop like get the ball out of this dude's hands every time he lets it go I was you know watching the Bucks series watching the Pacers series like he is just I cannot believe he's a rookie um feel that way about Dragic uh and increasingly feeling that way about Crowder so I don't really know where you go here with these guys I mean you obviously don't want Crowder to be as wide open as he was on some of these threes um but but he's just been he's been terrific and he drew a couple uh three shot fouls um, as well, which is something that he's he's very sneakily good at. Um, I'll give him his credit. Um, with Marcus Smart, uh, also extremely, extremely streaky still. I think the percentages with him are a little higher than I, I think his reputation might be. I mean, when I see, I mean, he's always been a pretty good free throw shooter. The form is fine. Um, he's come along as, you know, he was literally the worst high volume three point shooter in NBA history earlier in his career. Um, I think he's pretty okay now. I think the Celtics are pretty confident when he lets one go. 
Um, and as we saw in the Raptors in game two, you know, he can totally swing a game with his outside shooting. The problem is when he gets hot early and then, you know, there was one three he took last night where I think it was like maybe on a three on two or it was some mm -hmm. transition opportunity. And Jalen Brown was just standing underneath the basket wide open. And Marcus Smart just takes this like fall away three, even though no one's near him and it obviously doesn't go in. Uh, so sometimes it's more shot selection than, um, him actually getting up a high them up at a high clip like if he's just spot up uh, uh, in the corner I think that that's a really good shot for the Celtics if he's spot up on the wing even and wide open it's a pretty good shot for the Celtics but it's just more about how the defense is playing him necessarily and sometimes he'll take them with you know time and clock situations that just don't make a whole lot of sense yeah I think it's a good point that Smart and Crowder are kind of like each team's version of each, version of each other to an extent where uh, Smart is usually guarding guards. And I know he can guard multiple positions and Crowder is usually guarding forwards and, and they seem to be the guys that are like, okay, we'll let him shoot because we got to guard the other guys a lot tougher. And uh, honestly, I think that means that the zone worked, man. You get Marcus Smart shooting like that, even if he's having that hot night, we know it's not going to happen every night. And we know he can have these nights uh, two or three times in a series. We've seen it, you know, year after year. So I think that will happen. But at the end of the day, Spo is going to take that as a W, right? Especially when you're getting those situations that you're describing where time o'clock, it's, it's not the greatest scenario for him to shoot. Okay. And what I was going to ask here, knowing, you know, this game plan and the way that game one played out where, you know, the Celtics really got control at the end of that third, the third quarter, which is something that the Heat have done just for years now is, you know, uh, the, the, the third quarter, as he Twitter calls it. And, um, but... The one defining characteristic from this team that I think differs from the first half of the season is how gritty they can get in the fourth quarter to really just put together possessions in a row where, you know, they're doing the right thing, executing on defense, uh, not letting the team get any type of advantage or break down the defense. And like you saw that, and Kemba couldn't get any type of advantage. And then on the offensive end, just being very deliberate with the, type, with the shots that they go and, and, and try to create. And they're not forcing anything other than that one hero shot that just I don't even know. And, you know, Jimmy going to the rim and making that shot and the foul. He, he was clearly trying to get the foul there. Insane, but, insane finish. Oh, my Lord. My Lord. It's the band block really overshadowed that because that shot, I, I was – it defied gravity to me. It was like, <laughs> this guy's a magician. Like, I don't know how he pulled it off or Tatum who's so much longer than him. Uh, but Jimmy's just that big. But anyway, what I was going to ask is – now that we've seen all of this, how do you feel about the matchup going forward, knowing that there's still adjustments to be made? But now that you've seen the game plan, how do you feel? Um, that's a pretty good question. Uh, you know, I thought that the Celtics were, you know, I went back and watched the fourth quarter in particular, just like I was looking kind of just to see how Boston's offense just got so stagnant late because um, in the fourth quarter the heat didn't use their zone really at all uh, I think it was like one log position um, and so like there were just some sloppy turnovers um, there were some interesting shots taken that should not have been taken I think the Celtics got a little bit gassed um, particularly Kemba Walker Jalen Brown was not involved uh, at all um, and I think that um, you know, the foul situation where Miami was just in the penalty very early in that quarter. Um, and it was the fourth quarter, not the third quarter, right? Where they were in the penalty. 
earlier. Everything's just kind of bleeding together for me right now. But it felt to me like they were fouling uh, a ton. And uh, Bam Adebayo is just so good at drawing these fouls, particularly in the bonus when he's just so active in the paint. Um, and the Celtics really have no answer for him. So when Tice gets in foul trouble and he has to go to the bench, you, sp- you spoke earlier a little bit about uh, Boston's options off the bench where – Brad Wanamaker, I think, has been uh, – he's a trustworthy piece. And then it's just kind of mush. <laughs> um, so uh, you get kind of in some, in, in some issues there when guys get in foul trouble. Um, but, like, to answer your question, uh, honestly, you know, I thought that the Celtics were in control for most of the game. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that when, you know, they had a 14-point lead, at the start of uh, the fourth. And then I think that just their offense, it was stagnant in a way that was a little bit self-inflicted. And I, I don't, I mean, I'm not trying to say that some things that the the heat did were not effective because they were, and players on the heat had tremendous, uh, tremendous performances. But like I said, um, there were uncharacteristic mistakes, particularly that hero three from the top of the key that I just will never get over for the rest of my life. Um, (laughs) um, But I I think that, I think that Boston has a lot. I mean, Tatum had a tremendous game besides some of the shots that he took, uh, that he took late and he's been catching a lot of gruff for the, the three pointer that he took at the end of, of regulation, which I think was a fine shot. Um, And yeah, like I, I, I think that these two teams are, are, uh, are pretty like mirror images of each other in a lot of ways. And when I look at it, like uh, Kemba's going to play a lot better. He shot one for nine from the three point behind the three point line. Um, Jalen is going to be more involved, particularly in transition. Boston's transition defense was uh, uncharacteristically atrocious in this game. Uh, and I don't know if as, even as well as Jimmy played, defensively and as aggressively as he played defensively on Tatum, particularly in the fourth and overtime. I think that Tatum is just such a very special offensive player and they will find ways to get him going even more so than he did on the 30 point performance. I think that's a fair bet. Uh, I, I kind of came into this looking at it like, yeah, Tatum is not somebody that you just stop with the heat, have the bodies uh, to throw at him, to make him uncomfortable and to kind of make him work for his shots. Even if those guys are shorter than him and not as long, they, they all of them are bulky and, and mm-hmm. know how to move their feet, even if they're not necessarily fast. They're just high IQ defenders. So that, I mean, Tatum proved the guy is really on that level, right? Like even just after game one, it's obvious that no matter what you throw at him, he's going to get his, his points. He, he, he might have, uh, you know, one night worse than the other. But what I was going to say here was, bam, you mentioned him in the middle of that. And I just think I came into this thinking that he was going to be the most important factor uh, towards the Heat winning this series. And I feel even stronger about that after watching last night because, my Lord, I honestly, I've never been more impressed with Bam than when I am watching him against the Boston Celtics because he switches onto everyone and mm-hmm. shuts them down, everybody, man. Like, I, I, I feel so good when I see him switch on to Kemba, when I see him switch on to Tatum. I mean, Jalen Brown does not even – I mean, don't even bother, man. Like, I really respect Jalen Brown. I, I said earlier in, like, January – uh, that I thought he should make the all-star team over Tatum. I, I take that back now. But even then, Bam, I think it's just so important to what they do. Outside of the switching, he is always there on the back line. And especially, you know, Tice can't really make him pay as a vertical threat, which makes me think Robert Williams might get more involved. Uh, or Maybe not. 
But what I wanted to say here is I think Bam has been so underrated. I think he's always kind of the engine of the team, even when it doesn't seem like it. And this is also the series for him to really be aggressive as a scorer. And we saw it last night where even if he's not necessarily trying to get a shot up, he will go to the rim and he will bulldoze to the free throw line. He had like 18 free throw attempts during that bubble game versus the Celtics without mm -hmm. Jimmy. And I think that's exactly the, the kind of, you know, attempt and effort that they need from him every night in order to win. I know you did that, that, the really good piece about Bam earlier in the year. And uh, how do you feel about him after watching that game? Bam might be, it's so funny, like with the Miami Heat, I would say like my two favorite non-Celtics in the entire NBA guys who I just love rooting for are Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. And Bam, I mean, there are Draymond Green comparisons left and right. And it's like, I don't want to say that it's a disservice to Bam to uh, oh, yeah. to limit him in terms of that comparison. I see a lot of parallels and a lot of rational comparisons, but like Bam also brings the just like top notch uh, athleticism that is unparalleled. So yep. uh, and can get to the line and will guard every single one of your players. Exactly. There are very few guys and Draymond is one of them and maybe he isn't anymore. We'll see. But like there are very few guys who are legitimate, um, legitimately able to defend one through five. And I opened that story that you mentioned uh, about Bam. Uh, I opened it with just a little anecdote about how Eric Spolstra used him defending Russell Westbrook in a game earlier this season against the Houston Rockets. Like from the jump, you're guarding Russell Westbrook the entire game. And it's like, there's nobody else who can do that. Like, like maybe like even Giannis, Giannis is such a tremendous defender, but like the lateral quickness, is just like, it's different. Bam is so, so special. It's like he had nine assists last night. I mean, 11 free throw attempts. He's just, he's such a monster. Um, when you go small, which I think the Celtics are kind of forced to do in this series at times like bam is just there to i mean he's gonna play like over 40 minutes in every game of this series i would imagine like bam is there to just take advantage to attack the offensive glass to as you said switch on to anybody to blitz and recover uh he is he's an incredible basketball player it's in it's insane to me how young he is uh and i mean when i wrote that story you know, I was debating whether or not I should angle it as, you know, Bam is going to be the most improved player or Bam is going to be an all-star. Uh, and I kind of just like picked both. And I was, I thought I didn't want to sound like a fool. Um, but I mean, he's just, he's, he's incredible. I don't really know what else there is to say about him. It's, it's silly to me that he could be possibly be underrated. Um, guys who don't score or create their own shot are, that's just the way that, you know, NBA observation is, um, but he's not, he shouldn't be underrated. He's, he's an all-star. We'll get back to our episode with Michael Pina here in a second, but want to tell you about a great sponsor of the five reasons sports network. This is one of our favorite sponsors. Of course, it's Biscayne Bay brewing the official craft beer of inner Miami, the Miami Marlins, and most importantly, us, the five reasons sports network. This is South Florida's actual. In Ohio ready for some quick mental health facts. Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? 
Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Independent Brewery. Biscayne Bay is owned by local guys who employ people in this community to make their beer right here in South Florida. These guys are committed to our community and to supporting Five Reasons Sports so we can keep bringing you all the local sports content that you can handle. If you care about supporting local business and drinking amazing beer, grab their stuff. It's at Marlins Lager, Miami Pale Ale, or Tropical Bay IPA at many, many, many major retailers throughout South Florida. You can check out their website too, and they'll tell you exactly where to go. It is the beer we're drinking at Five Reasons Sports. It's also the beer that's powering ALF on those post-game shows that everybody's enjoying. So check out Biscayne Bay Brewing. And now back to Michael Pina, Alex Toledo, and myself as we go through the NBA. I want to transition with you to your piece on the Clippers, but before we do, uh, one quick one here. Kelly Olynyk, uh, you were there for the ultimate Kelly Olynyk game, the, the game seven against the Wizards, uh, where Kelly Olynyk looked like Summer League Olynyk. Kelly Olynyk, by the way, is the second best player I ever saw in Orlando Summer League. The best was Andre Drummond when he came back for his second year and was just tormenting people. But Kelly Olynyk, as a rookie, I remember being there, and I used to love the Orlando Summer League because you could get up closer than you can in Vegas. And he just he looked like Larry Bird I mean like when he first got in there like I, I thought he was going to be rookie of the year and then you know he had he, I guess he was a little up and down with Boston but, but he had that great game what is your thought kind of on how the Heat have used him and and one of the things we talked about that didn't really happen yesterday was Bam Olenek lineups because that was one of their most effective duos a couple of years ago and it was really effective when Spolster has gone to it lately we didn't really see it. Um, how do you think Kelly Olenek plays into this series? Uh, great question. I think that, you know, I respect Kelly Olenek's uh, ability to space the floor. I think the Celtics will respect that ability as well. They've seen it up close. Um, it's why uh, Danny Ainge drafted, traded up to draft him uh, instead of going with Giannis, which is a decision that I, I will never uh, recover from emotionally. Um, but, like... At the end of the day, I think with the lineups and the, and the personnel that the Celtics have with Tatum, Jalen, Kemba, um, Marcus Smart to a much lesser degree, but they – actually, I'm just going to, you know, exercise, uh, exercise Marcus Smart from this conversation, but, like, they are really good at attacking weak spots on the defense. So I think Kelly in space is – you know, he moves his feet well. He's pretty good uh, uh, angling himself. Uh, you know, 25 feet out from the, from the basket and beyond. But like, if they can get him on an Island, uh, it's just like, he's so easy to play off the floor. It didn't really surprise me that he only logged 10 minutes. Um, They'll have to be small, I think for a majority of the series. And as I said earlier, Bam is going to play a ton. So it's, it's, I don't see him being a humongous factor. Um, But if the offense really bogs down, uh, then he might come in at some point to loosen it up a little bit. But I, I just, it's tough for me to kind of picture that because the Celtics will just attack him relentlessly if he comes with the game. I, I want to transition on something, and I'm glad that we got to talk Heat Celtics today because when I turned on first take, which I almost never do, but I was curious uh, what they would do today. And it was basically 17 minutes of Clippers uh, with some Lakers mixed in, three minutes on Heat Celtics, and then 
Stephen A. Smith said, I don't want to talk about that anymore. And they went back to Clippers for the next 20 minutes. I, I feel like everybody's a little bit Clippers out, but you did write a piece, which I found really interesting because I felt all year, I picked the Clippers to win the championship mm-hmm. this year, but it never felt right. And then after the game last night, after they blow the three, one lead third time that doc rivers has blown a three, one lead uh, in the playoffs. And they've still never made the conference finals as a franchise. After that, they all started. There was just a variety of excuses. We never built chemistry. Guys were tired. Uh, you know, then it was the guy, players who left the bubble and, and all of the rest of that stuff that came up. But it just never felt like they got it together this year. So uh, why? How did you kind of lay that out in your piece? I mean, for me, first of all, like I, I picked the Rockets to win it all, but that's just because I'm trying to be an antagonist. Like, I, if, if you like gave me truth serum, I would pick the Clippers. I think Kawhi yeah, that pick was looking good there for a while until, <laughs> until that Lakers series. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, until Russell Westbrook showed up. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Kawhi Leonard's the best basketball player in the world. I still feel that way. I think um, we'll see what happens with LeBron over the next couple of weeks, but. Uh, you have Kawhi, he's the reigning finals MVP. You have Paul George, finished third in regular season MVP last year. Um, in a more, I think, I think a better role for him, just as kind of like a 1A. Those two are, you know, two of the cream of the crop, two-way wings in the league, in a league that like really values two-way wings. That's what the NBA is all about today. So you look at that, you look at Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, maybe the two best six men in the entire league on the same team, and they're, they have a ton of synergy together. And it just, it just made so much sense for this basketball team to excel. But like when I look at the Clippers, I should say, when I look at every other team that's good, um, it could be the Rockets, it could be the Celtics, the Raptors, the Lakers, like there's something that pops in my head immediately about their style of play or their aesthetic or, or just the lineups that they play, just what they are good at and what they can hang their hat on. And I never got that with the Clippers. I mean, they run a ton of pick and roll. Cool. Everybody runs a ton of pick and roll. Um, and then like they don't shoot a ton of threes. They don't necessarily attack in transition. They're not looking to push the ball. They don't really have like a death lineup that they go to. Um, they just, there were a lot of like weird questions. And it's just like, I, at the end of the day, I was always just like, you know, Kawhi's on the team. Kawhi will figure it out when things are, you know, when it's nut cutting time, Kawhi Leonard is going to take over basketball games and there's nothing anybody can do about it. And then that's basically what happened in game seven and Kawhi shoots like what one for 11 in the second half or something like that. Just, I mean, a total meltdown. And in those spots, like if you're, if your best player uh, and the guy who you like is your, your, your closer, if he struggles in a time like that, you know, you're probably not going to win, but you also have just a, a, a baseline strategy, like a foundation to lean on. Um, and the Clippers just don't, have that at all and so I like it's just it's fascinating to me that that was never developed uh and you you know why I mean they 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 apply load management maybe more than any other team which is fine I'm not like being critical but that's what they do because of Kawhi's body um Paul George had the shoulder surgeries didn't enter the season uh, wasn't in training camp didn't enter the season until uh, until late 
Uh, and then they have all these issues with, uh, as you said, guys leaving the bubble for different reasons. Um, guys being out of shape. I think Doc Rivers was, he didn't say Montrez Harrell, but that's who he wanted to call out in the post-game press conference. Um, who, you know, Montrez is a big part of their team and he just was atrocious uh, in throughout the playoffs. Um, so you look at the five-man lineup data, all that, and guys just weren't able to play basketball together a lot. <laughs> and so it's like, we know all this, but we're just still like, you know, stars take over at the end of the day. And in a league where um, I think like we, we might be a little bit spoiled by the Golden State Warriors and everything that they accomplished over the past five or so years, where it's just like they have this overwhelming talent and regardless of their chemistry, they're going to win. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot more, uh, sp- I think the talent is just a lot spread out now and flat, particularly this season. And so you know, you can get hit in the mouth by a team like the Denver Nuggets and a team that also like that not only are they super talented and have like a pretty deep roster, but they've been through the fire together. So when they're down three, one, nobody's pointing fingers. Um, Everybody knows their role. Everybody knows how they play. And so it's, it's like looking back in hindsight, it shouldn't be surprising, but it still is just so stunning to see a team that has that much talent collapse the way that it did. I mean, honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think, like, watching the Clippers, and, and I really want to give a lot of respect to the Denver Nuggets because my – like, I really didn't think they were going to pull it off. Again, having, having the, the second in a row, 3-1 comeback, and, and really pulling it off and doing it against this Clipper team. We saw what Kawhi did last year. You figure Paul George can put together a good game, but I guess that was too much to ask for from him. But – we know what happened. We saw the end. It was more than just Paul George. It was Kawhi. It was the entire team. It's like juxtaposing them next to the Raptors from last season. I just think it's it's just such a magnanimous like difference. It's a significant difference. They there's no motion offense. Like they don't know what to run to when things get tough. And like yes, you have Kawhi and Paul George to kind of do their thing, and you can set up some basic actions to get them going. And I think that that is very reliable. But at the end of the day, like if you know, there's not a lot of uh, ball movement. There's not a lot of motion. And let's say they have uh, role players that are more limited than the Raptors role players. I think it kind of showed itself. I, I don't think – I picked them to win the title before the season. So I'm, I'm definitely eating it right now too. But I just think it's disappointing. There, there's a lack of play creation that I think in, in, to a lesser degree can be applied to what we saw with Milwaukee and what we saw with Philly even before the Simmons injury was like you need the – the play creation and the, and the proper spacing to kind of have that, that type of elite offense that you can, you know, where, there's a variety. I think that's the key now, right? You can have a variety of things that you can go to. And I think the Clippers got a little bit predictable. 100%. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, and, you know, I, that, I thought that that was kind of going to be their identity. They have this breadth of talent. They can play so many different lineups you know, you have Zubac at the five, you have Harrell at the five, you have all these different, I mean, you have Pat Beverly, who is a, a, a guy, he's like a pest on the defensive end who doesn't even have to worry about um, playmaking responsibilities in the offensive end, which is just such a luxury for, for the, for the Clippers. Um, and you have like guys who can run and have run uh, as primary options, like elite offenses in Kawhi and PG. And it's just, it's it's kind of just like I don't want to blame Doc Rivers too much here because 
the Clippers had the second best offense this season. They had the fifth best defense. They had the second highest point differential. Like all the data says they were a really good team. But like if you run up against a team like Denver. Um, Just out executed them, right? Well, they out executed them for sure. And like also like, you know, we look at the results and we look at how the Clippers blew the lead. But to be like also fair to the Clippers, like, the Nuggets hit some sh- – like, Second Spectrum has this statistic, which is, like, shot quality, and it basically tells you, um, you know, how good what – the, what the effective field goal percentage should be versus what it actually is. And Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are throwing up shots that are absolutely insane, and they're going in. And so it's like – sometimes you just got to be like, you know, this team – like, Jamal Murray dropped 40 last night, and a lot of those shots were these tough loaders, tough runners, step-back threes – um, like mid-range turnarounds. And so sometimes you just got to tip your cap, but at the, at the same time, like you can't get blown, blown out in a game seven the way they did. Jamal Murray is uh, what I think Kyrie thought he was last season for the Celtics, just to get back to the Celtics. <laughs> that guy, man, like I really have, you know, I didn't think he was that guy. And Jokic right now, I, I think is a top seven player in the league. The way that he's mm-hmm. played in the playoffs the past two seasons, he's so good. He's still their best player. But Jamal Murray... <laughs> Jesus, man, I didn't know if he could do it with, with the type of talent on the perimeter that the that the Clippers deploy, and he really did it. And even if there was a lot of tough shots, even if he didn't do it at the same clip that he did versus the Jazz, I'm just so impressed by him, man, to, to have done it in two straight series against those two defenses. He's for real, man. He he, I, I'm nothing but impressed with what he's done playing off of Jokic. They have great chemistry together. And they also didn't have Will Barton. And never stopped fighting. Yeah, they, they also didn't have Will Barton in that series either, who I mm-hmm. thought could have been a factor. And Gary Harris came back into the bubble late, so they've had to incorporate all that. Again, there's not going to be as much conversation about the winners here as there are about the losers. That's typically the way that this works. And particularly if the Lakers win that series, nobody's going to care about the Nuggets. The Nuggets could play that series, uh, you know, wherever they want. Uh, it look like the greatest team of all time, and it's still going to be about what happened to LeBron, what happened to Giannis, what happened to Kawhi. That's just the way the league works. I want to close with you here, Michael. We'll, we'll let you get out on this. Uh, we saw game one that I think these teams, like you mentioned, mirror images, the, the Heat and the Celtics, pretty evenly matched, uh, particularly without Gordon Hayward in there. And I did see Cooper Moorhead from uh, Heat.com tweeted out that one of the issues Boston had with the zone may be alleviated a little bit with Gordon because they used him in some ways to bust that against the Heat this season. But yep. uh, give, a, give, a, give us a pick here uh who did you like before the series and and did yesterday change anything well my pick before the series was celtics in five i am probably not gonna go with that i don't think the celtics are gonna win four straight games here um a lot of what happened in the game i kind of expected to see including miami's zone including boston's struggle against it and i think that they will play better against that zone as the series goes on, as they did against the Toronto Raptors. Um, I'm, I'm going Celtics in six now. Uh, and like, I'm pretty confident in that, in that, in that prediction. Um, but I just also want to say that like Jimmy Butler is, uh, I really can't respect anyone more in the entire league, I think, than Jimmy and everything that he did in terms of, you know, during a summer where every single superstar in the league, every all-star in the league who's a free agent wants to team up with another free agent, another superstar, all-star free agent. 
Jimmy goes to Miami. It's such a perfect cultural fit. It's such a perfect stylistic fit. Um, the way that he has trusted everybody on that team and allowed them to blossom is why Tyler Hero hits that three. It's why uh, Bam makes that block. Uh, it's why... Uh, Duncan Robinson, man. Duncan Robinson, sure. He got in foul trouble in last night's game, but his uh, him blossoming uh, to become one of the best you know, catch and move uh, three-point shooters that we've ever seen is because of Jimmy. Like, I honestly look at it like if uh, if Kawhi went to Miami or PG went to Miami instead of Jimmy Butler, uh, I think that those guys would feel the need to average 30 a night. They would not allow Kendrick Nunn to lead the team in shots per game. That would just not be an option. And I think Jimmy's uh, underrated humility has been a, a humongous reason why the Miami Heat are such an effective basketball team. And, and to that end, uh, and again, it's, it's interesting because the Heat fans are going to have trouble hating you after uh, even identifying as a Celtic fan with your admiration for Bam and Jimmy. But, but I do think one of the things we've talked about a lot here on Five on the Floor is that a heat, the Heat are so backwards from most teams because typically you, when you talk about you know, most elite teams, it's like, okay, their two best players have to lead them in scoring for them to win. Okay. It's gotta be Kawhi and Paul George. Okay. I guess Lou Williams could slide in there. It's gotta be LeBron and AD, right? It has to be Giannis and Middleton, mm -hmm. but the heat, their two best players can be their fourth or fifth or sixth leading scorers at a game. And sometimes they're better that way. Like sometimes they're better when Goran gets 29 or hero gets 22 last night, Jay Crowder got 22. It's they're just an unconventional team. I feel like, and again, you're one of the educated ones that breaks down the game, follows the game. I feel like a lot of people in the national media and the national public really don't understand the Miami heat. They don't make sense to them. They're looking at, they're like, well, Jimmy's not a great shooter. Yes, Bam is exactly. not a, Bam won't shoot. It's just, it, it doesn't fit the national narrative. I mean, when I look at this team, it's like they, uh, I think they're leading the playoffs or maybe they were up there in the regular season for sure. in assisted baskets, they move the ball. They move so well. Everybody moves so well without the ball. Everybody has a clearly defined role. Um, the back cutting, uh, uh, the um, everybody can shoot. Everybody like it's just it's it's to your point. Like yeah, there's going to be games where Duncan Robinson leads the team uh, in points. There's going to be games where Goran Dragic leads the team in points. But like what Jimmy does and what Bam do on a night in night out basis is like they are a constant threat to be the leading scorers on the team. So it's not like the defense is not paying attention to them. It's not like uh, the defense is not schemed to try to stop them. That allows other guys like Tyler hero um, to get hot and to really uh, alter an outcome. So, I mean, it's, it, it's such an impressive display. Um, it's such an impressive just uh, roster construction in terms of compatibility, like bravo to the coaching staff, bravo to the front office uh, for finding and developing just about everybody on the roster, everybody in the rotation. And we haven't even like mentioned the name Andre Iguodala <laughs> and he's on the team. Like, it's just, it's, it's a really, it's, it's, it's amazing. And um, he looks great too have, on defense. I could not sure. I, I could not have more respect for the Miami Heat. All right, Michael Pina. You can follow him at Michael V Pina on Twitter. 
It's one of the few Boston fans we'll have back here on five on the floor. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. I know Alex was looking forward to this one. Hopefully we can, uh, we can check in with you in the future. Follow his work at GQ, including the latest piece on the Los Angeles Clippers. All right, right after this, I did something on our YouTube channel earlier today where I kind of went through the all NBA selections and got into another, in my view, snub of the Miami Heat uh, that played out. This one's not as bad as Goran Dragic finishing sixth in the, in the league in, in, uh, in six-man-of-the-year voting behind two Clippers, as Michael mentioned. I don't know how you can have a six-man and a seventh man who are in the top, were in the top three for six-man-of-the-year voting. It's weird to me. But uh, after this word from Safe Cubbies, we'll get to it. I want to introduce you to another of the great new sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and it is a sponsor that would be important in any time if you want to have a beautiful workspace, but it's especially important now when you need a safe one as well, and that's safe cubbies.com which offers modular office solutions designed to elevate your open office into a modern and safe environment at any budget you can personalize your workspace with options like whiteboards magnetic panels acrylic sheets and graphic branding most of the surfaces are non-porous for easy cleaning and can be removed or replaced within minutes now this is for workplaces they've got a bunch of different options on their professional series but also they've got private room solutions dividers and sneeze guards and they have a classroom series as well so if you're involved with the school this is definitely something your school should check out of course if we have school in the fall and that's the point here we are entering a new normal period with COVID-19 safecubbies.com which is locally owned is the place that you want to go the phone number is 754-216-1071 again that's 754-216-1071 or safecubbies.com Ethan Skolnick for five on the floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. This is the latest season ticket. Now, the Miami Heat are starting to earn respect around the country for what they've done in the bubble, particularly what they've done in the playoffs in the bubble, winning now nine out of ten games, including game one of the Eastern Conference Finals in overtime, 117-114 against the Boston Celtics. But the Heat weren't all that respected during the season, before the COVID break, before they went to Orlando, and even at the beginning in Orlando. And we're seeing that reflected in the award voting. Now, the awards voting was done uh, based on what happened prior to the bubble. So the bubble games, the seeding games, the playoff games, obviously, but the seeding games did not count in the awards voting. Now, we've already seen Goran Dragic finishing sixth in the sixth man of the year award behind two Clippers. How can you have two sixth men on the same team? By the way, neither of those guys, whether it was Montrezl Harrell or Lou Williams, were particularly good in the playoff series against Denver, and now the Clippers are going to Cancun. Um, but if you take a look at what happened there, two players from the Los Angeles Clippers voted ahead of Goran Dragic when he was the true sixth man for the Miami Heat until he was made a starter uh, once we got to the bubble and got to the playoffs. So that was the first snub, okay? He should have been in the top three, in my view, at the very worst. All right, then Bam Adebayo finishing second behind Brandon Ingram for most improved player. Look, Ingram's stats were terrific this season. New Orleans was nowhere near the playoffs. Bam was a core player on a playoff team. And if you take a look at the numbers, although Ingram's scoring went up, Bam went up in just about every category and not just on a per 36 minute basis. Okay. He was terrific uh, this season. And so he should have been, in my view, the most improved player. He also didn't get a lot of love for defensive player of the year, although he was on second team all defense, but Jimmy Butler was not on second team all defense. Ask people around the league whether Jimmy Butler deserved to be on the all defensive team, or at least one of them um, ahead of Eric Bledsoe, maybe. 
I would think so. We just saw Eric Bledsoe um, lay an egg again for Milwaukee in the postseason. And now the latest one, okay? And Coach of the Year, Eric Spolster, was fourth. I don't have a big question about that, although Nick Nurse, who won, didn't look so great in his last series. But the one that just came out today, all NBA. Now, I wasn't expecting Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo to be on the first team. I thought there was a chance Jimmy Butler could sneak on the second team. He did not. He was third team. Again, the first team, and I'm going to take a quick look at it, Kawhi, excuse me, the first team, uh, AD, Anthony Davis, Giannis, LeBron, Harden, and Luka. You really can't argue with any of those five, although it's interesting. Only two of those guys are still around uh, in the playoffs, which is LeBron and AD. Take a look at second team. Kawhi, can't really argue with it in terms of the performance when he played, but he sat a bunch of games. Again, he's gone now, too. Jokic, can't argue with that. He's been terrific in the bubble, which, again, came after um, the criteria for the awards. Dame Lillard definitely deserved it and certainly showed it in the bubble. Chris Paul, same. Pascal Siakam, ahead of Jimmy Butler. And I'm not even basing that on what happened in the bubble where Siakam was brutal. I mean, he was unplayable in that series against Boston. All of his numbers were down. All of his percentages were down. But even in the regular season, Siakam was better than Jimmy Butler. Some of the numbers were better. I would take Jimmy Butler. So then you look at third team. Jimmy did make the third team along with Jason Tatum. I think you saw last night why Jason Tatum is deserving. But then the other three, okay? Gobert, ahead of Bam. There's no metric that shows that Gobert should be ahead of Bam. Sorry. You can even make a case for Embiid ahead of Gobert, but it shouldn't be Gobert, okay? In my view, it should have been Bam. And then the, the other two, I guess, guards on the team, Ben Simmons and Russell Westbrook. Now, Russ had a great last month before the COVID break, but I don't know that I would have had him on an all-NBA team. And again, that was sort of verified when you take a look at the way he played in the bubble and particularly in the playoffs. You can blame that maybe on a COVID hangover because he did have COVID, but I don't know, man. Russ on an all-NBA team at this stage... And then Ben Simmons, okay? It's funny that Jimmy and Ben Simmons are on the same all-NBA team. Is Ben Simmons an all-NBA player? He still can't shoot. He still won't shoot. I don't know. I look at it with the Miami Heat, and I say there's still a lot of people around the NBA, a lot of these award voters, who did not watch them this season. Because I think if you watch them, Jimmy Butler's second team, Bam Adebayo's third team, and oh yeah, Goran Dragic is better than sixth in the six-man-of-the-year voting. Ethan Skolnick... Season ticket, five on the floor, five reasons sports. Check out five reasonsports.com, all of our pregame streams, postgame streams, and of course, our postgame podcasts. Thank you for listening to the five on the floor on the five reasons sports network. 